Everything in this world has a balance of both positive and negative influences. But often, when we encounter negative energies, negative behaviors in others, or negative forces, it leads to a downward spiral of one negative event following another. Take, for example, the proverbial run of bad luck that most of us have encountered. It begins with something not going the way we expected. Following the initial unpleasant results, a trickle-down effect has everything else going wrong as well. Unless we have a normally happy life to return to with people or events that bring pleasure to break out of all the negativity hanging around, we will continue on a downward slope in which absolutely nothing goes as planned. We can get immersed in negativity, which, in turn, attracts more of the same. However, there are always means to counterattack. Everyone and everything has their own vulnerabilities, and we will explore those weaknesses and learn to prevail over negative influences with spell work, prayer, and adjusting our own behaviors. Additionally, we will explore ways to deter or prevent future occurrences. By examining the causes that brought forth the negative people, events, or forces, we find enough knowledge to avoid future encounters. This passage comes from the introduction to Hoodoo Cleansing and Protection Magic, Banish Negative Energy and Ward Off Unpleasant People, by Miss Aida, published by Wiser Books. Tonight we will learn the many aspects of cleansing and protection within the Hoodoo tradition, but as with most healing traditions, Diagnosis and prevention is just as important as the cure. I'm your host, Jason, and you're listening to the Esoteric Book Club. Welcome back, goblins! Before we get started, I want to take a moment to thank the members of the Esoteric Archive. Specifically, Annie Kay and Grand Inquisitor Samantha. Donations go towards server costs, reading material, and making sure that this IV drip of coffee never runs out. If you would like to join the Esoteric Archive, go to patreon.com forward slash esotericbookclub. You can donate as little as $1 a month, which gets you early access to episodes, while $3 a month gets you extended book club episodes. Those who pledge $8 or more gets a shout-out on episodes and a warm, tingly sensation that is in no way related to the MK Ultra project happening next door. Just ignore that camera in the corner and eat your mushrooms. Just remember, by donating directly to the Esoteric Archive, it keeps you from having to hear about Goodbye Fresh or, like, Circle Space. Podcast fans, you know what I mean. But that's not why you're here. You want to hear about some magic. So without further ado, let's get weird. It's been a while since I did a book on Hoodoo or Conjure, so I figured it was time to make a return. Hoodoo Cleansing and Protection Magic is a fantastic book. Yeah, I know, I normally wait until the end to make a declaration like that. But this time, I'm going to get that part out of the way, 
and then spend the rest of this episode telling you why I liked it. And really, there's a lot of reasons. Before we get into that, let's take a look at the author, Miss Aida. Miss Aida is a U.S. Air Force veteran and a registered nurse. She comes from a Cuban family that had direct ties to Santeria, Paulo, and Brujeria. Or, in some cases, all three. Her mother was a Brujera, her uncles, Poleros, and her grandmother was a Santera. While she doesn't call herself directly a Brujera, Miss Aida is a Catholic, a practitioner of hoodoo, and an initiate of both Santeria and Paulo. She began seeing and interacting with spirits at the age of two, and has grown to be an accomplished medium, an intuitive card reader, and an expert in spirit work, cursing, crossing, and breakup works, aka spells. She is the former administrator of the Lucky Mojo Curio Company forums and is author of four books, Hoodoo Justice Magic, Cursing and Crossing, Destroying Relationships, and the title that we are reviewing tonight, Hoodoo Cleansing and Protection Magic. She has also been a guest on a ton of radio shows, including Coast to Coast AM and Jim Harold's Paranormal Podcast, as well as a guest on multiple Lucky Mojo podcast episodes. So, she's been rather busy. Now that we know a bit about the author, let's talk about the book. There are nine chapters that start with the basics and move their way towards greater severity until the final chapter entitled Severe Spiritual Activities Requiring Professional Help. But let's start with the basics, shall we? Chapter 1 is entitled It All Begins with the Aura, and it's an introduction to the energy fields that surround all living objects. While this book is about hoodoo, Miss Aida uses the terms aura and chakras because those are the terms most familiar to people when describing these concepts. Now, the aura is described in this book as an energetic shield that protects you from a variety of things covered in this title. But let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. This shield can be damaged by everyday negativity such as arguments, insults, envy, jealousy, entitlement, prejudice, scapegoating, mercury and retrograde, and finally, energy vampires. My name is Colin Robinson, and I am what's known as a psychic vampire or energy vampire. This is my office, also known as the hunting ground. Hi, Deb. Energy vampires drain people's energy merely by talking Jeez, to them. Actual versus budget year to date? No thanks. You're going to be at that all day. We either bore you with a long conversation. I'm feeling better now. I was a little sick this weekend. Hey, Don. Or we enrage you. In fact, you probably know an energy vampire. We're the most common kind of vampire. We are day walkers, not affected by the sun. And we are the only kind of vampire that can drain another vampire's energy. It's very cool. 
That clip is from the comedy series What We Do in the Shadows, which is easily one of the funniest things I've ever watched. Even though this show is a comedy, the description of energy vampires, it's, it's pretty accurate. Any one of the above situations could lead to a bad day. But these things tend to pile up on one another. One is manageable, but multiple, well, that's when it becomes a problem. So what do you do when you need to rejuvenate your aura? The first option listed, and let's remember that this is a book on hoodoo practices, is to spray yourself head to toe with Florida water. Florida water is technically sold as a cologne, but it is mostly purchased for spiritual and ritual use in our modern day. The recipe was purchased by Landman and Company in 1808 and has remained unchanged since that time. Allegedly, the label is a slightly modified version of the original design as well. The scented blend is largely sweet orange, lavender, and clove. The name alludes to the Fountain of Youth, which was believed by Spanish explorers to exist somewhere in Florida. Keep this item in mind because it's going to get a lot of use throughout the book. The next option for cleansing the aura is to basically do the same thing, but instead, use holy water. You just add it to a clean spray bottle and mist yourself head to toe. The benefit of using holy water versus Florida water is that holy water won't damage furniture. Florida water, being a cologne, has alcohol in it, which means that it can dry out and damage leather or wood. Holy water, on the other hand, well, it's just water. Now this is the first part of the book that really stood out to me. Miss Aida didn't just say, go get some holy water. She elaborated on the best practices for acquiring it, how to store it, and how to prevent it from going bad. The water part, that is, not the blessing part. She also advises you to do a bit of research ahead of time if you have to purchase your holy water, assuming that you don't get it directly from a Catholic church. In her practices, Miss Aida has seen places bottle tap water and label it as holy water, and once, she even encountered a shop attempting to sell rancid water from their in-store altar. Sure, it may be sanctified, but if it looks like a frog could live in it, you probably don't want to use it for cleansing. The last cleansing water that she recommends is rue water, which is made by steeping the herb Ruta graviolens in boiling water for 13 minutes. You then strain out the liquid, let it cool, and then use it in the same way that you would use Florida water or holy water. But, there is a warning with this one. If you are pregnant, nursing, or attempting to become pregnant, you should not in any way handle rue. And this is the second thing that I really love about this book. You're not just getting instructions for use and directions for creation but you are getting full, adequate warnings when needed. In this case, rue can be an abortificant that causes uterine contractions. So mothers, you need to avoid this one. Now, rue has also been used by the Catholic Church in conjunction with holy water 
to help with the removal of sin. So while it's not suggested in this book, I could totally conceive of making some powered-up rue water by boiling it in holy water. But wait, there's more. Before you boil your rue, you need to bless it. While it is suggested that you can use any blessing that you are comfortable with, this is hoodoo. So the most common blessing in this instance is Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in paths of the righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This leads me to the third thing that I really appreciate about this book. That passage was printed in its entirety in the chapter. Not everyone who reads this book will have a Bible, and even if they do, they may not be able to locate Psalm 23. So it is super handy to have it right there for you as part of the directions. It's even blocked off on its own away from the rest of the text so you can easily locate it if you're flipping through the book. So you bless your rue herb with that psalm, finish with amen, and then boil it. Super easy, right? Then when you're done, add it to a spray bottle and store it in the refrigerator between uses. Miss Aida also mentions three more herbal waters that can be made and used in cleansing, and those are agrimony, hyssop, and rosemary. Agrimony has historically been used for banishment, hyssop for cleansing, and rosemary has been used for both. Rosemary isn't used as frequently because it does have a rather potent scent, but I find it balanced pretty well with peppermint, especially in soap. But I digress. Actually, no. Specialized soaps are the next thing that's listed. She specifically says sulfur soap and rue soap. And these are for one you really, really need to scrub your aura. Now, sulfur soap may sound gross, because really, who wants to smell like rotten eggs? But it is extremely potent. I may have exaggerated a bit there. Sulfur soap doesn't really smell like rotten eggs, though it is a rather strong cleanser. So Miss Aida recommends that you test a little bit of it on the inside of your wrist just to make sure that you don't have an allergic reaction to it before you use it on the rest of your body. Finally, she suggests using specific crystals to fortify and repair your aura and the option of doing an egg cleanse, which is more involved than I really want to get into here. The basic idea is that you rub an egg over the surface of your body and the shell draws in the negativity, which can later be released by disposing of the egg. And that is all just in chapter 1. 
I even skipped over a few parts like the specialized ritual oils, talismans, and meditation. I want to make sure that I highlight the best parts of this book, so I'm going to move a little faster from here on out. Chapter 2 is entitled Negative Energies in the Home, and it's exactly what it sounds like. Negative energy can be picked up and carried home with you whether you know it or not. Even if you've just released a lot of what you accumulated throughout the day, traces still remain and get deposited in your home, just like dirt. As a result, you sometimes need to add spiritual cleansing to your regular housework routine. The first thing that you need to do is to take a bath. Yes, you heard me correctly. You need to first be sure that you are clean. Otherwise, you'll just be tracking all that spiritual gunk behind you as you mop. In fact, your spiritual bath can incorporate several of the things that we talked about in Chapter 1. The soaps are pretty obvious, but you can also add in some holy water or Florida water cologne to your bath water just to give it a little extra kick. Ritual bathing is a little bit more involved than just taking a fancy shower, but I'll leave the details for you to discover when you read the book. Now that you are cleansed, how do you cleanse your home? Well, the good news is that not only are the directions given, but Miss Aida also included her favorite recipe for what is commonly known as Chinese wash. Now the history of this formula wasn't included in the book, so I turned to the Lucky Mojo Curio Company for details. Chinese wash was developed in the 1920s by the Oracle Company of New York. It was billed as a detergent preparation with the delightful aroma of oriental gums and grasses. When the company went out of business, their product name was taken by competitors using their own blends, which largely had nothing to do with the original formula. What's interesting is that in practice, people would oftentimes add broom straws to the bottle before use. Now, Lucky Mojo and a few other companies add broom straw to their bottles during the production process. In the modern era, Chinese wash is largely a generic term for a formulated washing solution that contains cleansing agents, oils, herbs, and other items. Or sometimes it's just dyed water. And the name? It was mostly just a marketing gimmick. But I mentioned that Miss Aida included her own recipe in this book. She uses Murphy oil soap as the base, because this is a cleaning solution after all, Van Van oil, Castile soap, frankincense, lemongrass, broom straws, and a little bit of your own spit. Yeah, it sounds gross, but it's tying your energy to the energy of the home. Think of it like a spiritual password to get through your energetic security system. And this recipe makes a lot of Chinese wash. And you really only use a quarter of a cup per mop bucket. So this is going to last you quite a while. And that's probably a good thing, 
because I imagine the first time you do this cleansing, you're going to need to refresh your bucket of water a few times. Not that I'm saying your house is dirty or anything. Anyway, after cleansing yourself and your home, it's time to protect it. We've all heard about using salt and iron and various other apotropaic items, and Miss Aida does elaborate on these in her book. But in the interest of the show, I want to highlight things that are not as commonly talked about. One example, which is very much a hoodoo practice, is to add a camphor cube to a votive glass or a shot glass and fill the remaining space with Florida water. Both substances are purifying agents and when mixed together create a powerful effervescent mixture. I had never heard of this before, so I ordered some for myself, and I have to say, the combination works really well together. Granted, I have two cats and I can't exactly leave the glass near the door or windows as Miss Aida recommends, but it still works rather well to aerate my small apartment. Also, Fun fact, camphor cubes float in water, but in Florida water, which is alcohol-based, they sink like a rock. Another simple option is to use mirrors, although from the sounds of it, any reflective surface could potentially work, and this may be a good alternative if you live in a less open-minded area. Basically, just hang a reflective object from your windows or doors facing outward. Then, if negative energy is directed towards your household, it will be reflected away from any entry points. Now, if your entrances face a roadway, maybe you could use something decorative that is still shiny. You wouldn't want to cause any auto accidents, after all. This custom isn't just used in hoodoo, either. Feng Shui practitioners use something called a bagua mirror. The bagua is an octagon-shaped object where each of the eight sides represents a different interrelated concept. But the Bagua mirror, there's also a round mirror in the center of it. In this instance, the Bagua mirror would be hung on the outside of the front door. Bells serve a similar function when hung from doors. Think of church bells. Yes, they are used to call people to prayer but they also serve as a warning signal in times of emergency and to drive off evil spirits. This is basically the same concept, but on a smaller scale. As suggested in the book, these are quite easy to obtain around Christmas time, but they are often incorporated into various door decorations. I actually have one on my own door that has wooden oak leaves and acorns that are made from sleigh bells. Whenever the door is in motion, the bells are ringing, which keeps evil from following you in whenever you enter the home. There doesn't really seem to be anything special that you need to do to the bells, since it's the sound they create and not the object themselves that is doing the work. At most, I would just say to be sure that they are not impeded from ringing. Plants are a wonderful option for protecting the home as well. The first big one is basil. Yes, regular old Ossicum basilicum or culinary basil. 
It's suggested in the book that you grind the dried leaves into powder and sprinkle it on the sidewalk leading to your front door. Or you could boil those leaves and create another herbal water. This water could be used to scrub your front door and stoop. It's believed in many cultures that evil cannot tread where basil is. And if it's on your door, it certainly can't be opened. Even though it's not specified, you could probably use this on your window sills as well. If you want some extra kick, boil it in holy water. There's some potted plants that can help protect your home as well. These examples are from various cultures and climates, so there should be something to fit your location. These plants include cacti, ferns, ivy, and palms. The protective elements of cacti, they're pretty self-evident. But I had to look up the purpose behind the others. This is one instance where the book didn't really expand on the subject they were talking about. Now ferns. Ferns are the oldest plants on Earth. It's true. I used to find fossilized ferns in the slate piles left from underground mines here in West Virginia. It can be concluded that ferns symbolize endurance and longevity. It's also believed that fern fronds can be carried for fortune and good luck. In medieval times, they were hung over doorways and were thought to prevent a home from being struck by lightning and to dispel negativity. I personally find the lightning part interesting because if you've ever seen someone with Lichtenberg figures, scars caused by lightning strikes, they almost look like fern leaves. As you can probably guess, ferns are also associated with fairies, which is kind of a mixed blessing if you ask me. They can be good for your home, but they require a bit more maintenance to keep them from getting bored and feeling unappreciated. Ivy is an interesting one, and it has various meanings and symbolism depending on where you are in the world. I'm finding everything from protection to fidelity to longevity. The unifying factor seems to be the clinging nature of the plant. It's secure, binding, and frankly, hard to kill. This makes ivy a powerful tool, but also one whose strength could become its own undoing. Which is probably why it's a good idea to use this one as a potted plant. That way you can get all the good aspects of it without things getting too crazy. Finally, we have palm trees. Palms were a bit more tricky to track down exactly why they are considered protective for the home. Sure, there is the obvious reference to Palm Sunday and the triumphal procession into Jerusalem by Jesus of Nazareth. But why were palms used? What is their symbolism? There obviously had to have been a symbolism prior to this event, otherwise they wouldn't have been used. So I found a few interesting tidbits, but nothing super concrete. The first is that Jericho was known as the city of palm trees back in biblical times. The next is a few references to palms in scripture. These are only portions of a whole passage, but it seems that they aren't exactly taken out of context, or the context is otherwise very straightforward. 
In Psalm 92.12, it says, The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar on Lebanon. I don't want to go down another rabbit hole, so I'm assuming that a cedar on Lebanon is pretty big. The most direct allusion to the palm comes from Revelation 7.9, which very directly says, the palm tree is also associated with victory. Period. There's no explanation as to why it's associated with victory. It just is. There were a few other facts about the palm, specifically the date palm, that came up when I was searching out meanings. Date palms have both male and female trees, yet both of them produce fruit. The trees are also drought tolerant but are often indicators of water sources and markers of oases in the desert. For this reason, date palms seem to be associated with sanctuary, guidance, and prosperity, all of which are good things to have in your home. This is already a lot to take in, and we're only in chapter 2. The later chapters involve attached, possessed, or bewitched objects, negative people, which I will go into more in the patron extension, the effects of illness on both the afflicted and the caregivers, hexes, curses, and spells gone awry, harmful entities, and finally, a heavy-duty 13-day eradication ritual, and when you should probably be seeking a specialist. I will have to leave most of this for you to discover on your own. All of this probably sounds pretty good, but why am I raving about this book so much? First of all, Miss Aida very clearly defines what she is telling you, how it works, and why. Except in a few instances, such as with the associations behind specific plants, there is no mystery behind what is being told to you. You don't have to have seven other books open to various references in order to get the gist of what she's talking about. It's all laid out for you very clearly and concisely. Next, she doesn't pull any punches when diagnosing problems. You may think that you're jinxed, but have you considered that it may be the people you surround yourself with? Is your home environment not conducive to the lifestyle that you need to flourish? Better yet, do you maybe need therapy or counseling first? Not everything is magical, nor can everything be cured by magic. So eliminating corporeal problems is your first step. Additionally, Miss Aida talks to experts in their respective fields. This is specifically highlighted in the last chapter, but there are indications of it throughout the book. She has vast knowledge of Cuban and Cuban-American beliefs, but when necessary, she contacts Catholic priests, rabbis, and paranormal investigators. She doesn't pretend to know it all, and that's not something you see in many publications of this type. Next is her attention to detail when regarding safety. I've talked about this in other shows, where I feel like the author is negligent in mentioning the possible problems with certain ingredients, specifically with herbs. But not here. 
Miss Aida has a background in the medical field and it shows. We saw it earlier when she was elaborating on the uses of the rue plant. Basically, if you are pregnant or someone in your household is pregnant, you really shouldn't be working with it. And we are told that up front in that chapter. Finally, I want to address something that I normally only draw attention to for negative reasons. The book's bibliography. Now just glancing through it, I see very specific things such as articles entitled How to Identify a Cult, Six Expert Tips from CBS News, Rabbi Jeffrey W. Dennis's Encyclopedia of Jewish Myth, Magic, and Mysticism, an article entitled Characteristics of a Sociopath, and another one titled Stress Symptoms, Effects on Your Body and Behavior by the Mayo Clinic. My point is that she is getting very direct information for specific circumstances. My one gripe is that she cites Wikipedia twice. Once was a reference for the September 11th attacks, and if I remember correctly, she used it for something statistic-based. So it's almost forgivable. The other Wikipedia article was on spirit possession, which is... Uh, it's not great. She could have taken that extra step to check the cited sources for those entries and used that as her source, which really would have been far more reliable. For example, the September 11th statistics probably cited the U.S. Bureau of Labor statistics or possibly FBI files, both of which would be far more substantial than Wikipedia. Outside of those two instances, her references are really rather good. They're not all specialized scholarly sources, but then again, neither is the topic of this book. So in conclusion, if you are at all interested in this topic, grab yourself a copy of Hoodoo Cleansing and Protection Magic, Banish Negative Energy and Ward Off Unpleasant People by Miss Aida. I'll post a link to the book in my show notes. Miss Aida can be found at MissAida.com and on Facebook at Miss Aida Psychic. Intro and outro music is from the song Fight Don't Fight, courtesy of Sarah Rudy and her band Hello June. Their music can be found at Bandcamp.com and at WeAreHelloJune.com. Members of the Esoteric Archive, stick around! I'm going to take a closer look at what I think is the most important chapter in this book. For the rest of you, remember, until next time, stay weird. you extra special weirdos. It's time once again to open up the Esoteric Archive. Like I said, I want to look at what I consider the most important chapter in this book. Chapter 4, Negative People, The Suppressors, and The Deceivers. As I mentioned earlier in my review, 
Miss Aida is sometimes very direct, and this chapter exemplifies this.